Praise the Lord. Okay, uh, we need to do that again. <laughs> you know, the first time I was here, I, for those who are here, I told you something. I said, when we preach in Uganda, something goes on between the preacher and the congregation where uh, several times throughout the sermon, the preacher will say, praise the Lord. And then the whole congregation will just say, amen. Or the preacher will say, hallelujah. And the whole congregation will say, amen. And just, just to give me a little bit of home while I'm here, would you just, uh, can we do that together? Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, that's great. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we want to thank you for this time in your word. We want to thank you for your spirit among us. I pray that as you uh, made your word clear to me this time as I was studying scripture, I pray that in the same way, that same spirit in me, as he's the one in everybody here, that Lord, you will unite this word and cause us to get sacred with this word that we will obey you and walk in it. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I really, it's, it's amazing because it's already a year from the first time I was here. And uh, it's unbelievable. But I remember that because the first time I was here, my wife, Faith, who is not able to be with me today because she has a commitment at the church we attend in Portland, was pregnant. Uh, and now my daughter, Aliyah, is 11 months, so that's how I know it's been a year, but God has been great and his grace is still sustaining us. I am in my third year at the Multnomah University, like Ken has been saying, and preparing to go back home uh, to continue with ministry there and uh, very excited about that. What I wanted to talk to you about today is the fact that we are kingdom ambassadors. And so the topic of my message is going to be being kingdom ambassadors. And uh, this was sparked off by a Facebook message. A friend of mine in Uganda wrote on his status, and apparently his name is also called Alex. And he wrote on his Facebook status and said, Alex is in a puzzle. A career or the call? Is there really a difference between the two? Career and the call, and he's trying to decide whether to take on a career or to go with that call. Um, that for me sparked off um, memories of my last year in university. We finished university with this guy. And in my last year at university, I was doing a degree in adult and community education. I was on a path that I thought was really very clear for me. Uh, I was one of the best students in that class, and I thought I'm going to graduate, get myself a good job, break out of the poverty that I grew up in, and basically make a good life. Now, I was a Christian. And uh, I was very active, actually, in my church. Uh, occasionally, I enjoyed sharing uh, the gospel with people around me, but never really had the sense of urgency uh, 
and responsibility for carrying this kingdom message of Jesus Christ to others. I did it every now and then, but it wasn't like a very urgent thing for me. But then one day, as I'm seated in class, one of the lecturers who is not a believer said something about what we are studying. And he told us, you students think that adult and community development is a profession? No, it's a calling. Now, for me, from my Christian worldview, calling was big. It was defined differently. There is no way I could have a calling without God, his plan, uh, his message, his kingdom coming in the picture. So for me, uh, calling <laughs> was huge. Now, apparently my career, my profession had coincided with my calling it seemed to be that this lecturer is telling me, <laughs> Alex, your profession just coincided with your calling. It got me to really think, think about what I'm going to be doing with what I'm studying. And I really felt there's, no, there's really no man that can pay me enough to do the kind of profession that I was going to be doing. If I was to do it, just as I was trained to do it, help people develop. Why would I be doing that? And that's when uh, I began to realize that actually my life, the past that I've been through, being at the university right there, and... Uh, the future where I am heading has almost, has kind of been a divine setup because I did not create myself. And the guy, God, who created me, had a plan and a purpose for my life. In fact, since I did not create myself, I, I had not had that plan for me. Which means if I was to live my life without fulfilling the plan and the purpose that he created me for, then my life was purposeless. That was the beginning of my journey toward full-time ministry. For Jesus had just <laughs> grabbed me even without knowing. And from the time that I decided to give my life to him, he had decided that he had called me and sent me out for his purposes, for his plan, and for his kingdom. The passages that we have read in scripture today show us Jesus sending out his disciples. And uh, in Matthew chapter 10, by the time we come to that passage, Jesus has been doing almost all the work. He has been preaching, he's been healing, even raising the dead, um, dealing with the Pharisees. And at one time, he stops 
and looks at the crowd and sees many people that are just wandering. And in fact, the Bible says they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he turns to his disciples and tells them, guys, the harvest is huge. But the laborers are few. And I have a feeling that somehow the disciples did not fully get this because he says, oh, let's pray for the Lord of the harvest to bring in more harvesters. Well, if you're praying for other guys to come in, then maybe you are not part of that. But then in chapter 10, the Bible says he calls them. He summons them to himself, sits them around and says, guys, look here. The harvest is big, the laborers are few, and guys, I did not recruit you to sit by me and watch what I'm doing. I actually called you to send you out. I called you so that my purposes, my kingdom, or the kingdom of heaven that I've come to announce might expand beyond what I'm doing here. So I am sending you out. So in the, in the first verse of that chapter, we see that the point of Jesus calling the disciples is to send them out with his authority and his power. What does that tell us? That tells us that we have been given Jesus' authority and power. That is an exciting thing. That you and I have been given the same kind of authority and power that Jesus had while he walked here on earth. So that as we walk here on earth, we can carry out the same things that Jesus Christ did. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, in verse 2 to 4, he, tells, he shows us the people, the kind of people that Jesus sent out. Now, of course, there's a list of the 12 disciples. But when you begin to look at these disciples, it is interesting because Jesus is this great, great teacher. In fact, He's God in flesh. Can choose from everybody else. Can choose from anywhere in community, in the society then. But he goes and chooses fishermen. He chooses tax collectors. Zealots. Guys that ranked the lowest in their society. Guys that did not have any rank in that community. Common men. In fact, where they lived, they were nothing. No one knew them. Because God uses common men. He did not look for the celebrities of the time, the big shots of the time. He went to the common men, 
men that were considered nothings. For some reason, I don't know, but for some reason, God is attracted to those that are nothing, to those that society doesn't think they can have anything to do with them. When he chose a place to be born, he came from Nazareth, where everybody said, is there anything good that can come from that place? He chose to be born in a crowd, the king of kings. When he chooses people to carry out his mission, he goes to those who are nothing. For most of this month, many of most of the weekends of this month, I've been traveling in different to different parts of the United States just to share my testimony. And my testimony is that 20 years ago, <laughs> I was this child whose feet had jiggers. I don't know whether you guys know jiggers. But um, they are parasites that get into your feet or your body. And so my feet had sores everywhere. And uh, I used to walk like this because I couldn't staple well sores. My testimony is that 20 years ago, I used to dress up in rugs with holes throughout my Shirts, my trousers. Um, 20 years ago, I was this kid with a pot belly, skinny but with a big belly, not because it's filled with food, but because it's filled with worms. 20 years ago, I was that kid that would go out to rich men's garbage and try to pick something to bring back home for us to eat. And nothing. But look what God can do. You don't think it's a miracle for me to stand here and bring God's word to you? He is amazing. Because it doesn't matter who you are. Where you've been, where you're going to, what you have been through. What matters is that Christ has called you from wherever you have been. He has saved you, has brought you to himself for something greater than you can imagine. God is still in the business of using nothings to carry out his kingdom purposes to represent him to be his ambassadors that's what paul says that we are his ambassadors his representatives to wherever we live so in verses 5 and 6 he tells his disciples where to go now the passages in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and some other passages in Luke and Acts, 
he is going to send them to Jerusalem, Judea, and all the parts of the earth. But at this point, while they are starting their mission, he decides don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans. In fact, don't even take the routes, the ways that go to the Gentiles. Um, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, basically, when you look at the places that he's telling them to avoid and the place that is remaining for them, um, scholars believe it's Galilee. So he's basically restricting their ministry in Galilee. And uh, when you look at the composition of these 12, it's believed that most of them actually were, came from Galilee. They were Galileans, except Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. So what basically Jesus is telling them, that as I send you out, I want you to begin from where you are. Start from where you are. Yes, a time will come when you have to break beyond where you are, but right now, as you begin, start at that point where you are. What does that mean for you and me? For each one of us, God has very intentionally, very purposefully set us in a context and in some kind of relationships. Some of these relationships and in these contexts, there are people that know Christ, there are people that do not know about Christ. And we are to be his ambassadors, his representatives, his sent outs in this context, in that particular context. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, as his ambassadors, we are to represent Christ wherever we live. Now, starting where you are might mean maybe just beginning to wave and say hello to your neighbor before you share your faith with them. <laughs> starting where you are. Starting from where you are might mean, well, maybe sitting down and writing down your testimony so that in case you are to share it with someone, you know what you're going to do. Start where you are financially. Start where you are physically. Start where you are. It might be your job. It might be your family context. It might be your school context. It might be the friends you are with. Start where you are. And then, from that point, <laughs> we will reach out to the utmost parts of the earth. And then, in verses 7 to 8, Jesus is going to tell his disciples the proclamation they are supposed to make. 
and the strategy they are going to employ. And when you look at Matthew 28, Mark 16, and um, Acts 1.8, those other passages where he's sending them out to the world. And by the way, those also really apply to us. He just tells them, go. Or he tells them, go and preach. He, just, he doesn't explain to them how to do this, what to expect, um, how they are going to carry it. He doesn't go into the details of what entails this gospel. And I believe it's because here he has, tell, he has told them. In fact, the whole of chapter 10 is explaining to them how to do this, what to expect, what to do and what not to do, what to take and what not to take. Um, where, so he has basically given them the great foundation here, which I believe will apply to us. What kind of proclamation as representatives of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what kind of pro pro proclamation are we going to make? The proclamation is simple. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Now, this is the same message John the Baptist began with. And he said, I'm not worthy to, uh, someone is coming who will do a better job than me. And Christ did come. And Christ came and proclaimed the same kind of message. Now, Christ is telling his disciples the same message I've been proclaiming is the same message I want you to proclaim. Go tell everybody that the kingdom of God is here. Now, you know that when the kingdom of God comes, it displaces some other kingdoms. Hallelujah. When the kingdom of God comes, in Uganda where I come from, we have kingdoms. And um, before we became a nation as Uganda with so many kingdoms, these kingdoms had this rush of trying to expand. And uh, the more powerful the king was, the, the bigger the kingdom would become because then he would go and assert his influence on several other kingdoms. When we say that the kingdom of God has come, it means there are some other kingdoms that are being displaced. Now, the point of this message today is really not to tell you the kingdoms that are going to be displaced. But it's to tell you that you are a representative of this great and mighty kingdom. And we are to live that. And so Jesus tells us the strategy that we are going to employ as we represent this kingdom, as we make this proclamation. And the proclamation here, that, that word to go and preach that the kingdom of God is here, it's a loud proclamation. It's a proclamation that is going to be noticed. It's going to be heard. It's going to be noticed. Not, not necessarily listened to or obeyed, 
but definitely heard and noted. Of course, when you read down below, you will, he will tell you that sometimes they will persecute you for that. Sometimes they will not accept you for that. Even your family members might betray you for that. But the thing is, you need to make it a loud proclamation so that it is known. Now, how are you going to do that? He tells you, it's simple. Go, heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. And cast out demons. <laughs> what is he saying? I want you to note that when he says these things, he's basically not telling the disciples that, well, when you encounter those situations, call me, I will take care of it. He's not telling them that um, when you encounter those circumstances, um, pray. Pray for those circumstances. He's saying, do something about it. You heal the sick. You cleanse the lepers. You do this stuff. Do something. I have given you my authority. I have given you my power. Now, take church and do something about this. Now, I do believe that we are surrounded by people who are going through several both physical and spiritual sicknesses, deaths, lepers, um, and people who are tormented. And the message of the kingdom that we proclaim is a message that speaks into these circumstances. Of course, um, those who, who are spiritually sick, lepers and, uh, and, and uh, unclean, are more urgent, need more urgent attention. But we also cannot look away and give a blind eye to people who are in physical pain, in circumstances in which they cannot help themselves if it is in our power to help. Praise the Lord. I believe that this is the essence of the Christian life. That we go and proclaim the message of the kingdom by actually bringing healing to those who are sick. Bringing uh, uh, the, the message of the kingdom in people who are in wanting circumstances. We become, in that way, Jesus' arms and feet. When we begin to employ his authority, when we begin to employ his, um, his power to address, uh, practically address situations that are, people are going through, so that people can now feel that love of God. They can feel and sense that God is involved with them. So we go out and take care of those who are in circumstances in which they are helpless, in which they are unable to help themselves. 
Praise the Lord. That's the proclamation we are, we are to make as Christians. We are supposed to be bringing solutions in places where solutions don't seem to be. And we can do that because we have been given the authority and the power that Jesus has. I believe that the church is the greatest force of change on the earth. I believe that if we as believers take our place in God, exercise our authority, and actually live out our faith, then there is no, nothing, nothing, no demon in hell, no man on earth, no circumstance in life that can stop us if we make up our mind and say that we are going to live true to what we really are. We are going to be the Christ to this world. We are going to be the actual ambassadors bringing God's healing, bringing God's deliverance, bringing, speaking into people's lives the truth of the kingdom of God. Now, we do that because we are loyal to our king. We do that because we love our king. I just told you that in Uganda where I come from, we have kingdoms. I have a king. And um, it's amazing how we love our king, how we love our kingdom. We, we love our king so much that we can, people can do anything for the king. When the king speaks, everybody raises up and says, yes, the king said, and we are going to do that. Recently, and you might have heard of this, one of our former palaces, which had been turned into a really great culture um, kind of museum, uh, caught a fire and got burned. And people were really, really very uh, angry about it. I was also really upset because we love our king, we love our kingdom. And um, so for the last week, there has been going on a seven-day time of mourning. And to crown it all, last Friday, actually this Friday, they held a very huge prayer for the kingdom. And uh, it is said, and I read this from the news from Uganda, that an estimate of over 100,000 people walked from all parts of the kingdom to come to this place where the fire had been to just pray for the kingdom and also give support and bring materials to rebuild that palace again. And among the people that were there, one person, uh, one of the, uh, the leaders spoke and he said a statement that I wanted to read for you today. The statement says, the love for the Kabaka, Kabaka is king, the love for the Kabaka is natural. And you can't stop it like you treat malaria. You cannot dilute it, you cannot dilute that inner love 
because we see the kabaka as the shadow of a god. The love for kabaka is natural and you can't stop it like you treat malaria. Now, that statement, I believe, captured so much of the feeling of the people that came for that function. In Uganda, if you, if you mess with the king, people are willing to lay down their lives. If you mess up with the kingdom, people are willing to lay down their lives. But the thing is, we belong to an even greater kingdom. We represent a kingdom whose king is the king of kings, the lord of lords, the master of all. How much should our love for the kingdom and the king draw us? Praise the Lord. I do believe that as the church, we as the representative, the representation of the kingdom of God in our contexts, in our communities, we need to go out there and leave that fact. Leave as kingdom ambassadors proclaiming that the reign of the king is here. And how are we going to do that? By showing it. By our acts. People see the kingdom by what we are doing. In bringing solutions to practical issues in their lives. Praise the Lord. 